that's you know an altruistic thing it's good yeah but if it's stolen from me if he walks up and goes that's your dollar i can tell you where you got your shoes and i say where and he goes on, on your, your feet, feet. <laughs> yeah it takes my dollar i feel bad because yep. i got rolled but <laughs> <laughs> well, you got shoes on so no one's taking your shoes lately so that's right, good right <laughs> You don't know what they do. You don't know what they sacrifice. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. All right, bold Americans, welcome back to another episode of America Emboldened. As always, I'm your host, Greg Bolden. I am with my friend, really a childhood friend, Chip. Now, Chip and I go back to high school, uh, all the way back to when we used to put dog collars on and try to run past the electric fence and see who could get by without uh, yelling mercy too much, <laughs> see how high we could turn that thing up. But we're adults now. We've grown up, we've matured, we've experienced much more. Uh, but the reason why I wanted to speak with you, we, we spoke about, uh, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago. And I have a lot of people to come on my show that are conservatives or they're liberals. I'm a libertarian. I'm not an independent. I mean, I, I am more of a libertarian than an independent. I believe in libertarian principles. You are a true independent, yes. moderate across the board. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, I don't like the unaffiliated title because it sounds too much like, um, like you're not interested. I like the idea of being independent. Any topic that comes up, I'm allowed to make my own decision. I don't have to go with a party and I don't have to stick to principles of any party. So when you get to libertarian, I like a lot of the libertarian ideals, but as it goes more and more to the fringe, you get some crazy ideas that are also fall under libertarian that I'm sure you don't even agree with. No which is why I don't really like the monikers that there are, right. that are out there. But if you're independent, that doesn't box you into anything. So somebody can't look at you and say, oh, well, if you're a libertarian, then that means you think this, even if you don't, an independent, they can't tell. So what you're telling me is I need to change my affiliation to an independent on the network when I talk to people and say, I'm really an independent. Yeah, there's things that I agree with on the libertarian side, but I'm an independent mind. I've often said I have libertarian ideals because okay. I don't really want to control people other than to make sure that society stays, you know, I'm not an anarchist, which is, I mean, that's what people would probably, that's probably what we called ourselves when we were right. kids. We're anarchists because we don't like the government and the way the government's run, but that's not true. What the real thing is, is that we don't want the government to impose upon us when it's not necessary for the society to run efficiently. Right. It's a very simple idea. And that's that libertarian ideals. Uh, but at the same time, there's stuff outside of what I would call the norm of those libertarian ideals that is way too fringe. And it's ideas that, you know, where you're not going to help somebody who obviously needs help. Right. No. That's, that's right. the, I mean, I, I always find it interesting. It's like, well, you know, government's funding for roads, you know, libertarians, the, the private philanthropists would put that money out there and build right. all the roads. It's like, this isn't 
the 1800s. There's no billionaire that's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that we have safe roads for everybody. At this well, those point. billionaires are trying to build roads on other planets. Exactly. They're, well, they're trying to build <laughs> tunnels on the ground and uh, <laughs> prepare for doomsday, which we might get into. I don't know. I think that our conversation today is important because right now we have two presidential candidates up for re-election in 2024 that I don't think either of us are truly excited for. No. Um, Donald Trump returning as a Republican presumed nominee. Nikki Haley's trying to fight him off, but I really don't think she has any chance in hell whatsoever. I mean, no, I mean, from what I see, the Republican Party doesn't want the old school style candidate. And that's what Nikki Haley is. So I'm not a Republican, but looking in from the outside, that's what I see. So I don't see how she's going to win. I, when I lived in Florida under DeSantis, he was a great governor, uh, but I didn't see him winning because he's the old school type. Right. Um, when it comes to Donald Trump, he's bombastic and he says bombastic things. I think a lot of uh, what's going on has been overblown from the liberal side. Uh, but at the same time, he does lean into that a lot. And I would prefer me, an independent, would prefer that he not lean into it as hard. I, I get it. He's, right. he's kind of making it a joke, but it's not the best look for a president. I mean, there's things that I like about Donald Trump. Uh, when I look at the job that I do, right, like I'm an independent journalist. I've kind of paved my own way over the last two years, especially on the network, in covering stories that other people were afraid to cover. Um, you know quite well one of the stories I covered with uh, John Paul Mac Isaac. Yes. Um, and the reason you know that, and I'll share with everybody, sure. is he was your neighbor, which I had Absolutely. no idea. <laughs> yeah, and he's a great guy. Yeah, he's an awesome dude. And so I heard that story from afar before I right. met him, and I was like, oh, well, you know, this is this, this, this. And then I meet him. And every single thing that he did in that story is the exact same thing that I would have done. Right. So I could easily put myself in his shoes and go, he was just trying to do the right thing. He wasn't, you know, this wasn't some conspiracy to get anyone. Right. He was honestly just following what he thought was the rules and it blew up in his face. And it's blowing up still in his face. I mean, I spoke with him probably about like four or five months ago and he, he told me, he's like, Hey, lawyers, I'm not speaking to anybody right now. Uh, I hope that you're doing well. If I can do something for you in the future, uh, help you out with a computer repair or whatever, yeah. happy to do so. Um, but he said, I hope you can respect that. I'm like, absolutely, I get that. But the reason I'm bringing that up is like, you could speak to who he is as an individual where I couldn't do that. Like you were, when I, I went to your home uh, that you had, yeah. I was like, oh my God, like that's his door. <laughs> you guys literally are neighbors. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's the part that I think, the reason I'm bringing up independent media Mainstream media never gets to know that side of individuals. Mm -hmm. They vilify or they paint a picture, but it's never as complex as this dude's been a great human being his entire life. Right. Right. Like, why would he be doing something? So the mainstream, I feel like controls a narrative and Donald Trump called that out extremely well. He did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, but I can tell you something that is not new. So going yeah. back to when I was a child. My father was constantly saying, don't ever talk to the news. Even as kids, don't talk to the news. Don't talk to reporters. Don't say anything. And my younger brother, being the rebel that he is, he went out there. There was some incident at the school that he went to. I'm going to leave names out of this. Yeah, that's, that's why. <laughs> there was an incident where a kid brought, I guess it's called a lancet, in okay. and was walking around pricking people with this lancet. I remember this story. Okay. 
Well, my younger brother's involvement in this story right. is the kid came up and he said, hold out your arm. And my younger brother held out his right. arm and he pricked it. My younger brother goes on the news to tell this story. Right. And it's his name and underneath willingly pricked. Like he was like, Hey, yeah, he had no idea what the kid was going to do. The kid right. said, hold out your arm. He did. And that's how he got pricked, right. but he got painted in the light that he's some idiot who wanted to get stabbed right. with a lance up. So it was just full. So, and that was way back in the day. Dude, That was back. Like right after the whole Ryan white stuff and everybody was like AIDS afraid of everything. Correct. Exactly. I remember that was part of the angle that the local news media in Philadelphia and Delaware took. They were like, Oh my God, this kid was probably spreading AIDS or, right. you know, hepatitis. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you can theoretically. Yeah. Theoretically, yeah. yeah. yeah it was a big but, one. but that twist of like, well, your brother all of a sudden was like, yeah, please do this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like anybody would want that done yeah. to them. And my, when it came on, I immediately started laughing. My younger brother was very upset. <laughs> and my father was like, I told you not to talk to the media because they can do that. So there's people that are in control of these narratives, right? There's yeah. people at all the different news agencies that are deciding what goes viral, what the news stories are, what angle they're going to cover those news stories, what title goes at the bottom of each person right. underneath them. And so when I hear Donald Trump talk about your fake news, the first time I heard him say, I was like, Oh shit, that's that's dangerous. Um, if we start labeling everybody fake news, you're gonna erode public trust in everything. But then this narrative started playing out with Russia collusion, the steel dossier, things that the DNC now has had to pay fines for because they were found guilty of right, yeah. tampering and bringing that news to the mainstream media that they ran with, that there are liberals to this day still are brainwashed into thinking. That all of a sudden, you know, Donald Trump's taking a golden shower underneath some hot blonde Russian lady <laughs> and Putin's in the back room with video cameras watching the whole thing. So I mean, I, this is absurd. Ironically, I've been to Russia when I was younger. I was in Didn't school. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was in school and it was eighth grade and it was this trip that you could opt into. My father did not want me to go, but my grandmother wanted to poke him a little bit. So she was like, I'll pay for it. And so I went, I went over to Russia. This is like around, we literally, the bus pulled away as the March on Red Square was happening. So it, it was crazy time to be there. Yeah. And I didn't really realize that as a child, my father certainly did. And he was freaking out, but your the, grandmother was trying to get rid of you. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, my grandmother was more trying to poke my dad, not yeah. really thinking about things, but, um, this idea that it would be that easy to go collude with somebody. I, I don't care how much money Donald Trump has. Right. Things in Russia operate differently. And he's not just going to walk in there and have access to these people and be able to collude with them. And it's not like the United States isn't monitoring stuff like that all the time. But you know what's really messed up? So people are going to listen to the show and they're going to hear that you went to Russia when you were like eight years old. Oh yeah. And right? I'm, a, I'm an operative. You're now a Russian. Agent. Oh yeah. Well, you're on my show as a Russian agent. <laughs> and that's the reason why we're trying to set the record straight. Well, Donald, Donald Trump is, still I guilty. can tell you right now, my opinion of Putin is right. not good. Okay. I wouldn't go back to Russia because right. I know a lot of, I've worked with Russian people and they're always interested to hear my thoughts. Right. Uh, and probably the best way to describe the way I feel is something that somebody said to me, which was, He's KGB because once you're KGB, you're always, you're always it's the same KGB. with the FBI, right? Like I think so. I think once you're an FBI agent, you're always an FBI agent. Yeah. I, but uh, 
for the way that it is run over there, I'm positive. Yes. Yeah. Here, FBI agent can mean a whole lot of different things. I, I, I know a gentleman who was in education and he went over to teach in Russia about five years ago. He lasted about four months before he went to the United States consulate and he's like, get me out of here. Yeah. So I asked him, I said, I don't want to use his name, but I was like, what happened during this trip? Like you were all gun ho, what a great opportunity. He said, I was being followed from the moment that I left my front door into the school. When I left the school, I was followed to go to the McDonald's. I was followed over to the malls and I was followed back to my living arrangement. He said, I was pretty sure at some point in time I was going to either be kidnapped and used for some strange premise, or they felt that I was somebody that I was not. And I just need to get out of there and to ensure my safety and my family's safety. That is absolutely frightening to think that somebody at the age of like 25, who is a great heart, started off at education, like a Catholic school setting, mm -hmm. right? He was like, oh, I want to change the world. I'm going to the Russian, teach kids English. And then all of a sudden he's like, they think he's like an FBI, CIA operative in Russia or something like yeah. that's a surveillance state. Here in the United States, we have some of that type of surveillance state going on right now, but not like Russia. We're better at it. We're much better. They try to make sure you don't know about it. Correct. Correct. They they are. It's the difference between the car that follows you real close and you know you're being followed right. and the car that's been trained to stay six cars back yep. and it swaps off with another car so that you don't know that you're being followed. And we don't really have to worry about it because if if you're lame, they're not yeah, you're I'm not a boring person. You're not a problem. Although, although, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm going to be upfront with you. This is the ultimate irony of like maybe your paranoia. <laughs> you doing my show could put you on for somebody to listen to be like, oh, who is this guy? And the reason for that is ever since John Paul Mac Isaac, he warned me immediately. He goes, I just want to let you know. We've talked on the cell phone. Yeah. They listen to my phone calls. <laughs> They're probably going to start listening to you with your show. And then after I went in on Hunter Biden and I had the episode with Shooter's Choice where they said, yeah, he illegally purchased this gun. It's before the charges actually went through, but I got all the evidence I nailed. It. And I know that, you know, the state police had that, the Secret Service had that. All of a sudden, I started seeing SUVs <laughs> behind me with darkened out windows. And I'm looking at the license plates and I'm going, that's not a Delaware license plate. Mm. Um, who are these people? Now, John Paul Mac Isaac told me I'm being followed by Secret Service or one of those entities. So I know that like I monitor it all the time. When I broke the story about Erica Marsh, uh, there was an operative in Germany that was tied to the Panama Papers and money laundering with our intelligence agencies. The BBC contacted me, the Washington Examiner contacted me, and they're like, leave this story alone. There are people that die because they out these type of individuals. And I got away from that story right away. Um, so the irony so here you're bringing is it you're up talking now. to That's me. great. Talking, <laughs> why bring it up? Because I'm not going to investigate that story. Matter of fact, that story has already been leaked now by Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger. They've actually blown the lid that our government has been doing election interference in Europe for our own country for decades. They, they, they've started tracing. They have the receipts now, cryptocurrency paying for it. That should have been a given. I know it's a given, <laughs> but no one's ever been able to connect the dots till now. Like okay. Now people are like, here's some of the players. Here's how the game is done. Okay. So I assume that before there was any evidence, right? Because I knew the way that foreign leaders acted 
they were acting like we were doing that. Right. And so if they had real reason to think that, then I just assumed that was the way it was. And I think that's also going on here, but I don't think it's collusion. I think it's more like, oh, we're going to put this out there right. or prod this or do this or do that. And it's a way to move the needle one way or the other. And I mean, the upside to that is all of the different countries that may be players in that, they all have different goals. So one might move the needle one way and the other moves right. the needle the other way. It probably balances out. A couple of nights ago, I was talking on my show with a gentleman, Ben Davidson. He's a geophysicist, and he was making a point. He goes, we know that Russia, Germany, China, the United States, they're all working in Antarctica collaboratively. Mm -hmm. But yet we're all at war once we leave Antarctica, which tells us that there's probably something about humanity that we can all work towards a common goal. They're down there for some reason where they're like, Maybe just make it really cold. <laughs> Maybe, but like there's a collaboration that's going on that yeah. doesn't require the BS that the average person feels. And, uh, but at the same time, they contentiously argue about the North Pole like anybody wants to right. be there, but they don't know if there's resources or how much resources is up there. So they're constantly trying to carve Fine. off pieces and they can't even really get to it. Right. Uh, it's Putin's biggest thing. It's not even yeah. the North Pole. It's North Pole technically is always moving magnetically, yes. but the true North Pole, not the magnetic North Pole. So the reason I brought up this and kind of steer a conversation, social media. Yep. How much do you trust what you put on there is not creating a social credit score for you and isn't monitored by algorithms? Um, do you, do you so, worry about your own participation in that? A little, we should probably give them a little bit of background. I worked in banking. I worked in consulting for banks. Um, there was one point in time where I was talking to a guy potentially about going over to China to help develop exactly that, a social credit score. Now, the way it works in China is different. Right. So in China, your opinion of yourself, and I'm going to, this is really high level. I'm not saying every single person in China thinks like this, but your opinion of yourself is very heavily weighted based on the opinions of the people in your social circle. So if you give a loan to, to a guy and he's not paying it back, you can actually call his friends to let them in on the fact right. that he's not paying it back and that will humiliate him and cause him to pay. And there's all these different rules. It's not like it is here. Right. Um, so I think that there could be more of a social credit score like that over there. Uh, here, I'm not so sure. They can do basic things, but they're already doing it. So I don't know what, what the potential use of the social credit score is. If it's for finances, they're already doing it. They have, <laughs> I'm not going to say who. No, so, so, so you don't have to. I'm already aware. Okay. Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, Discover, MasterCard, they've all had the FedNow program where they already have the social credit score that already collects your purchasing habits, your carbon oh, towards it's, climate, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whether you're doing legal things, illegal things, what type of weapons you purchase. There's already a registry and that got released to the American public yeah. in January of 2023. So, so already on board with all the banks called, doing this. I can tell you what it's called. It's called Thor. 
is what sure. that, okay. that or that was the original name okay. of it. And what it would do is every single purchase you made and trends. So if you've got a guy and he's uh, donating money to his church and he's going out every Sunday after that for breakfast or brunch and, you know, twice a week he's meeting his wife at a little cafe to have lunch. And then all of a sudden he starts buying a bunch of liquor and he's now renting an apartment. Oh, he just became a credit risk. Right. One way he's very not risky at all. The other way, he's very risky. And they could start adjusting how much exposure they had based on that. And so, and that's been going on for a while, but they're also very, at least when I was there, which is years ago, they were very hesitant to use it. Mm -hmm. They would much rather use it for things like, oh, well, if you're going to go to Ace Hardware, we're going to, in your transactions, like on your statement, your auto, your electronic statement, we're going to give you a coupon for Home Depot. And then that steers you to Home Depot yeah. and they can make money off of that with the, right. that's kind of how they want to use it. Cause it's less contentious than, oh, we're tracking you and making these heavy decisions. But when you look at things like the WEF, where they've already said that agenda 2030 is to have a social credit score for people is to make sure that people can buy nothing, but still be happy or own nothing and still be happy, not buy nothing. Yeah. That, that to me is insane. It's crazy, but there are people right now that are openly advocating for that in society. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's, that's communism and it doesn't work. Well, you and I would know that communism doesn't work, but I have this guy that comes on my show and he's going to listen to this. I'm positive. He's going to okay. listen to every episode. Lefty layman. Not sure if you've ever heard him on the show before. Uh, but I bring him on because he's really the typical far leftist uh, that calls themselves a Democrat. But I don't believe the Democrat Party is any more than a Democrat than the MAGA Party is a Republican. And I call them the MAGA Party because Democrats have kind of split off into two different sections. Republicans are now in like fractured three different sections. Well, OK, and we just have a, a, a label. But it's real simple. It, are you voting based on what truly affects you? and how to govern society, or are you voting on social issues that are important to you, but may not even affect you? That's what I believe the far leftists are doing at this point in time. They're like, you know what? I need to take care of my neighbor because I've been brainwashed that the only way that I can have a conscientious moral vote is to be a social justice warrior. And therefore I'm gonna lead us into communism because we need to redistribute the wealth from everybody, have the, one percenters start paying for everybody else's problems, uh, overtax people. Uh, I feel like we're already overtaxed to begin with personally. I mean, I'm a middle-class individual that going, where the hell did my paycheck go at the end of everything? Oh yeah, right? absolutely. Um, but I believe that there's this acceptable Marxism at this point in time. I have, I've actually taken out the Marxist handbook, the 10 tenets of Marxism and listened to lefty speak before and reversed it to him and said, you just said this, here's where it is on the Marxist yeah. playbook. You just said this. It's good to have those, those opinions, but there should be a separation between who you're voting for to govern right. and the decisions that you're making based on social values. Now, the issue is this is not just a left problem because what the Republicans have done is done the exact same thing. When we're talking about abortion, when we're talking yep. about rights for gay people, trans right. people, I mean, they're entering that into and legislating that into 
being a voting decision. If you left that out, if that was a societal decision, maybe create another body to handle that and make sure that rights are being applied correctly right. and that everybody's equal, uh, not equal outcome, but equal <laughs> opportunity. Um, oh, are we going to equity now? We're going to get the diversity, equity, inclusion before this yeah. is over? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, there needs to be separation between doing ideal things right. and governing a country. And right now, at least this is an opinion. I'm not saying that this is yeah. the case, but it feels like you've got a Congress that's sitting there not doing anything. And the reason that they're able to get away with that is because anytime somebody asks them, what are you doing? They divert to all this social stuff that has nothing to do directly with governing the country. Right. And so it, it's very frustrating. And also why I would like to call myself an independent, right. because I would much rather have a body that solely focuses on governing the country and then pick or create or whatever, another entity that handles all these social issues in an equitable way. Right. I, I think separating those two out would be a good idea. So right now, I think the DEI is really tied to politics, especially on the left. Uh, the whole diversity, equity, inclusion, I would go as far as to say that I think it's a pipe dream of the left that we can have complete equity. Um, you and I, I think, can acknowledge there's no such thing as true equality. It's not something that you can legislate. A quality of opportunity, I believe, is something that can be there. So to say to people, okay, you're going to have an opportunity. I believe in that. I believe it's already there. Yes. I don't think you need to legislate that. I would say for the most part, it's already there. I'm sure you could find corner cases where it's not, but I would say for the most part, I would agree with you. The equality of outcome is not realistic and it's not realistic because people don't want the same things. Correct. But the problem is when you start looking at equity, see equity and equality are two different things. Equity now looks at the kid that has autism per, per se, okay. right? And says, well, we need to make sure we're equitable that that kid with autism has the same employment opportunities as a kid that doesn't have autism. You have companies now, like some of these airlines, I won't call them out because people know what they are, but you have airlines right now that have this in their policy that they are going to start hiring more people with autism, mental um, IQ, intellectual disabilities, uh, people that are physically disabled, I have no problem with, they're mentally you know, capable of anybody else, Although I would probably say that I probably don't want somebody that's a paraplegic working on my car and replacing my brakes, right? That's, we yeah. can have equality, but we can't have equity in some of these cases. There are individuals that believe that you're not a moral person unless you advocate that a person that is uh, intellectually not as advanced as maybe you and I are to be a brain surgeon or a pilot or be in one of these fields and that the companies now need to do more to make sure there's opportunities for every single one of those individuals to have the same exact access as the next individual. I think they're focusing way too much on the specific roles mm -hmm. uh, rather than the brain surgery, surgeon role. How about if they can get the same uh, fulfillment out of whatever their job is. Um, and then 
you break it down to pay. Well, I think pay is going to be one of those things where there's always going to be a separation depending on how needed you are. But that's not to say that there aren't roles. Number one, we got to, we got to say that this is a whole spectrum of things. There are people with autism who could be crazy good at something. Right. Like air traffic controller. Absolutely. They could do the detail. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a role that's autism. I want to make sure that my listeners know. Um, I am separating autism from intellectual uh, cognitive disabilities because you can have autism and be an absolute genius, detail oriented, and find the cure for cancer. Somebody with an IQ of 82 or below is really going to struggle with some of the task based parts. And there would be careers that would be better for that individual yes. than becoming a geophysicist, right? Like yes. we could agree upon that. What I'm getting at is in the classrooms right now, in public schools and college campuses and everything else, there's this liberal ideology that professors and teachers need to make sure that the access is still there, no matter what that disability might be. I believe that you present a curriculum. I believe that when time permits, you try to reach that student to the best of your ability because, yeah, it's not their fault that they have this. And as an educator myself, I do that. I don't understand why it needs to be legislated. I don't understand why it needs to be the talking point of the left. Just as Republicans are wrong for making it all about abortion, I think the left is wrong for making it about DEI and LGBTQ constantly and everything else. I think think they've gone batshit crazy in that direction. But I think that needs to be separated out from governing society into and i understand i understand that there there's pieces of that that have societal impacts obviously but it doesn't need we need to separate duties out so that the people who are supposed to be governing the country are doing the job that we hired them to do and not getting all off on these add tangents right where they're all into social constructs and stuff that doesn't matter when it comes to like why are we spending more money every single year than what our country is capable of making? So we're constantly playing catch up, constantly in debt. We need to have like some type of tech revolution. When that happens, then we get out of debt for just a little while and then we right back into it. Well, I would much rather than just focus on governing and have a separate body that deals with this DEI stuff with stuff like abortion and Really, when you talk about abortion, it's the nitty gritty. I understand that if you talk to people, you're going to get one of two sides. One side is, oh, there's like a almost full term baby that's being aborted and mm-hmm. it's terrible. And that baby could have had a life. And then viable. on the, uh, yeah. And then on the other side, you have the not viable, the mother's being forced to carry it to term. It's right. only going to live a day. It doesn't even have a brain, blah, 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 blah. And so you get these two opposing views. You can set up a body to deal with that and to make specific, you know, rules, ethics around that. Ooh, ethics, yeah, That like doesn't it. involve the government. Yeah. Well, Back when gay marriage was the big thing with Barack Obama, I got people that thought I was a hateful, hateful person. And they're like, oh, you know what? You're working with kids at a church during this time. This is the party line of the church. I'm like, my view has nothing to do with the church. Don't paint it that way. My view was this, and it's still this way. It's a sad state of affairs when we have to legislate the two people who can get married. Period. I agree with that. From a libertarian perspective, marry whoever you want. 
My problem with the entire thing, and still to this day, is this. Look at our Constitution. Where did our government give the right to themselves in the Constitution to require a marriage license? It's not there. Oh, no, it's not there. Which means it's a government-created construct that's unconstitutional. So why did we need litigation in the Constitution to give that to people? What should have happened back then during Obama and Biden is people should have dissolved this concept of marriage being recognized by a governmental state and allow people to go get married by uh, their different churches, their different unions, uh, whatever, like, you know, like your friend to go out to the field and whatever it may be. And then whoever wants to get married gets married. The problem is the government always has all of this stuff tied into taxes right. and money and financial, which is why people want to get married because they want the tax breaks of being able to file jointly versus separately, which means that the government once again, <laughs> I think that's a very, very, uh... <laughs> it is. But I think that there are some people that when that was going on, they were going, you know what, me and my uh, boyfriend, you know, uh, two people in a homosexual relationship, just so people kind of have the construct here or listening, not seeing me talk. Um, if it was me and my boyfriend and we've been together for 10 years and every time we file taxes, we're like, we can't have a legally recognized marriage and we need this so we can follow. Or if one of them goes into the hospital, hospital and they couldn't see their loved one because they didn't have, they um, have to come up with this crazy design for yeah. if one passes away. Yeah, that was house. all. Yeah. But that's all government created bullshit. Like the fact that government got involved in all this in the first place is what started creating the construct. Well, no, 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 no. So that's where we're blaming the government in a, in a place where, so I'm sure society with, with homosexuals is to blame as well. Well, no, no, so I, I, no, 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 because there's hatred towards homosexuals but we can, as well. Let's separate out the who's getting married. That, okay. does, that doesn't matter. Okay. Sounds good. Back way back before the government had anything to do with marriages, there were people that were like, Hey, well, we're going to get married. They go get married. And then obviously there was business or somebody who said, well, how do we know that these two people are actually married? Right. Are they just tricking us or are they actually married? And the government was like, oh, well, we'll come out with the thing so that they have to do, they have to sign a document that says, yes, they are married. And then you'll know that it's legitimate, not just some trick. So that's where they come up with the bureaucracy. But then now the government is in charge of who can get married. That's problematic. I understand how it happened. I didn't think, I don't think it was like this cabal that was like, hey, no, no. you know what we're going to do? We're going to take over who can get married. Um, but I also think that like th there was, there didn't need to be that whole argument around gay marriage. There is two different marriages that happen. There is a, the church marriage mm -hmm. and there's the state marriage. Correct. What they wanted was the state marriage. And I was for that in the beginning. Right. I was, that's great. I want them to get married. I'm still against them forcing a church. I would be against me and my wife forcing a church to marry us. I'm against forcing a business to do something they don't want to do because I believe it's the business's right to do whatever they want. I and agree. then for the consumers to go, you know what? You're a hateful person. We're not going to go there anymore. Right. That's how the market corrects itself. You're an entrepreneur. You, you get that concept. Yes. For sure. I think but we're the, actually on the same page. We are, but the government can't do that because then every person would go, well, I don't want to pay taxes. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And that's where I'm saying this has been such a problem for decades, if not a hundred years plus, 
where government has gotten too big. Do you know in the Constitution how often Congress is actually supposed to meet? I have no clue. Once, once a year. They're only supposed to get together once a year. It was a long way to go. Because it was a long time ago back then. But, the but a long distance that, of travel it was, as well. Yeah. It was. But the reason for that is they felt that all the duties could be wrapped up in one day for the country because government was always meant to be limited. Yes. We're not limited government whatsoever at this point in time. I'm pretty sure no. there's a regulation that right now we could find just for sitting in your house where we're sitting. We could find like, oh, well, you know, we, we can't sit here for too long, according to this ancient thing that's on county rec. Like government's way too freaking big. As, as an entrepreneur, I was trying to think to myself, what can I go into where there is no regulation? Because coming out of banking and all that kind of stuff, there's regulation on everything in banking. And so I started trying to create a concept of a business I could have where there's no regulation, where there's no need for regulation. I'm not running wild. I'm saying just no need there. Everything is regulated. Yeah. Everything. There's red tape everywhere. And <laughs> finally I was just like, all right, you know what? Do something that you think is fun or interesting. And that, that's probably the better way to go. Yeah. But I mean, that's why you have Congress that's in there with their thumbs off their ass because they all want to seem relevant. They all have to, what legislation did you write when we elected you? I would love for somebody to say, you know what? I was one of the most successful congressmen ever elected from the state of Delaware because I went to Washington, D.C. I never submitted any legislation. You're welcome. I didn't further infringe upon your liberties and freedoms. Well, I mean, the, <laughs> the real issue with Congress is, number one, it's a legislative body with no real oversight. Correct. That's problematic because right. they're making their own rules. So uh, I hear people say, oh, well, there's money and this and that. And I'm like, that's all byproduct. The real issue is you're play if we were playing a board game and I got to make the rules, right? Obviously, I'm gonna stack those rules in my favor. Right. Obviously. And there's no oversight. There's no way to change the rules. So as an outside person, I see something like somebody making a whole lot of money on the stock market. I can't go in there and change the rule to make that not allowed. Right. Um, and I see that constantly. So I mean, that's the first issue that we have. The second issue that we have is it's beneficial to them not to do anything mm -hmm. for them, not to bargain, not to compromise, just to be loud, get votes, get reelected, get more money. It's a system that's set up for them to collect money right. and not do anything. It's why we need term limits. But we also need goals. And yeah. I, I think I threw this out there. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you tell listeners about your plan yeah. that you threw out the other day? And I'll, I'll offer my feedback back to him. Let's discuss it through. Uh, it's obviously half-baked. But the idea is an incoming president would say, okay, for this year, this is one problem that I want the Congress to focus on. Come up with a bill that passes both houses that solves an issue. It doesn't have to 100% solve the issue, but it has to address whatever the issue is. Right. It's one issue. The president's not allowed to steer it. He's just throwing it out there. This is what I want you to focus on. And then Congress has like 200 days, pick an arbitrary time frame. I mean, that's not the point. They have a set amount of time to get these two bills through both houses, making bargains, compromises, and everything else, or we get rid of all of them, have a special election. The ones who went out, they're not allowed to be rehired. It's got to be all new people. We have a special election. 
And that will put the impetus on solving that problem because you won't be able to keep just collecting money. No, no, no. If you don't solve this problem, solve is a strong term. But if you don't address this issue, you're out. And so when I heard that, I, I was like, okay, so what could the problems with this be? And I said, I would be willing to compromise with your idea and go for it because there's something that I think that all these presidents for like the last 40 years since really going back to Reagan have been abusing horribly. And it goes back further than that, um, but it really is kind of like the, the Reagan era that we start seeing executive orders increasing mm -hmm. and increasing and increasing, which is no different than what we actually had before we founded the United States. It was a feudal system of a king saying, my decree is that right. everybody should not eat fish on Fridays, except for the king, right? And so I'd be worried that uh, if we continue down this avenue where like Donald Trump comes out of office, President Biden, the very first thing he does, he's like, screw your uh, executive orders. I'm now reversing them all. Yeah. And now I decree this the way the land is. Donald Trump's going to get back in likely. And then same thing is going to happen. He reverses it. I like your idea from the standpoint of it now takes a real problem that a president is voted upon by the constituents of the United States, right? The Republic has spoken. And then it gives, okay, Senate, Congress, Let's get this through both channels and make it an actual goal because the people are behind it. What I worry about with what you're kind of proposing is, one, let's get rid of executive orders because I don't believe there's anywhere in the Constitution that actually says that executive orders are supposed to work the way they've been working. Uh, it's been abused and the president uses the Supreme Court as their own justification. But, but hold on, hold on. Yeah. So the reason that the Supreme Court and the presidents are doing this is because Congress isn't functioning the way it's supposed to function. They're not doing things that need to get done. And then that power is being offloaded into I, different areas. I can't areas. disagree with you on that, except for I'm glad Congress isn't acting on some of the gun bills. And then when executive orders come through, through Biden and then through governors, I'm pissed off about it because I'm going, this is a clear violation of Second Amendment rights, cool. right? So I get, I acknowledge that the problem is Congress has a failure to act because they all want to stay in office. I 100% agree with you across the board on almost every single point you made. We're on the same page. Where I disagree with you is the fact that Congress is in not having action does not justify a president doing things that violate the Constitution and liberty without having our elected representation be able to vote on it. So that's why I'm actually supporting what you're saying with the yeah. president saying yeah, yeah. that Congress, hey, here's your action plan, but it's got to be with that caveat. It's got to be take away the executive powers, not executive powers, executive orders. And at that point in time, we have a clear cut goal that we'd like to work on to make this country a better place. Yeah, I'm for that. That would be more limited government. Um, it would justify people's jobs mm -hmm. that they're actually working towards things. But I'm also worried, like, how do you keep the people that I think are just absolute fucking nut jobs like AOC out of being like, well, I want to make sure that every single kid's taken out of a cage and that we have wide open borders because, God, they're coming here because they have such a horrible life where they're coming from. Meanwhile, we're like, in the Constitution actually states that you guys are taking an oath to defend our borders. And right now we have completely open borders. Uh, I just read a report earlier today. Illegal immigration now exceeds birth rate over the, this last year in the United States. That's a major problem uh -huh. because you and I are going to start paying for that. New York City. He already came out, the governor up there, he's like, hey guys, we're going to have to cut our budget because we have so many illegals that we're going to have to fund them and we don't have a way to support our city right now. But the problem comes in 
that we've created a system where we're not solving the issue. Mm -hmm. We're just ignoring it. And it's not just going to go away if you ignore it. Right. So you can't have this mentality of, well, I'm good. We're going to keep them out because we're not going to keep them out. I don't care how reinforced you make the border. Right. If people are living in terrible places, they're going to want to come here. Mm-hmm. as are criminals who want to exploit our system, mm-hmm. as are terrorists who want to attack our country, yeah. cartel. What we could be doing is creating immigration laws that make sense, that bring a reasonable amount of immigrants in every year, document them, they pay into our system. We could use those immigrants who are now legal immigrants to keep out the bad folks the terrorists, the gang members, they could help us with that. Who is going to be better able to identify who is not from south of our border right. than somebody who is? So somebody that's an independent, didn't like Donald Trump, not a fan of Joe Biden and the economy and what he's done. Um, did you have a problem when, when Donald Trump... 2016 during his election campaign says, you know, there's rapists and bad people coming across the border. Did you find that to be a racist statement? I don't think it's a racist statement. I don't. Now you were living in Texas during that time. Correct. correct. But here's the thing. If you take a large enough population of people, there's going to be a rapist in that population. And this is unadulterated. Like they're not, there's no rules in place to remove the potential rapist, the potential gang member, the potential terrorist. Right. So obviously, if you let enough folks through, you're going to get one or two or three or four. But there are many, 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 many good people who are also coming across. Yeah. Who are coming across for all of the opportunities. Reasons. Yeah. But here's the question. <laughs> There are people that are coming across for opportunities. I've taught some of their their children, and they've been incredible children. Um, when we had the whole ice thing uh, a while back, like six, seven years yeah. ago, um, some of my students' parents were deported out of the country, and the student was left behind to live with family members that had come in. How do we, and this is, I think, what you're talking about, how do we create the laws that are on the books to make sure that people know, yeah, you came here illegally. How are we going to get you legal? How are we going to get you to be a contributing citizen into the system that we have, the pathway to citizenship, which is already on the books. There's already laws that say, here's how we're going to do it. But for whatever reason, like this administration currently, Joe Biden's administration, Kamala Harris, they've turned a complete blind eye to legal pathway to citizenship. They're just like, we're doing the best we can. Uh, let's cut the barbed wire down. Let's let's We're doing the best we can right now. Uh, our, our people are overworked. It's it's a major crisis, but we're, dude, millions of people, illegals coming in. Some are very good people. Absolutely. I'm not upset about good people coming here, but I am upset that we have already book laws on the books that aren't being enforced by our government and people that are saying, you know what? And I get that. Yeah, it's a porous border because it's so long. There's no way to track. But once they're here, there's got to be somebody that takes a notice and can be like, yeah, you know what? Let's talk to that family and instead of deporting them, figure out, do you really want to be here? Here's what we need you to do, A, B, C, and D in order to stay. Well, I think that's the issue that you run into because I don't think that there is anywhere stated 
what the outcome of that is going to be. So if I know that somebody's here illegally and I, in effect, turn them in, I don't know if that's going to be a good thing where they get legal citizenship or if it's going to be a bad thing where they get deported and it hurts their family. I have this ironic story from when I was working in a bank. There was a guy there who was an Indian guy, but he never lived in India. He was born here, but he was illegal because his parents were illegal. So he he didn't have legal citizenship here. And I realize that now they have things like anchor babies and all that. Birthright citizenship. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. that didn't yeah. exist. Or maybe he was, I, I don't know the whole story. Maybe he spent right. a month in India and right. then came His over. His first month of life. Yeah, right. first month of life. couple of like I don't know the whole story. All I know is that he was constantly doing his paperwork because he was working at a bank. So he's constantly doing his, you know, re-upping his paperwork. Right. Well, at some point they were like, no, we're just not going to. We're not going to do your visa or the paperwork got shuffled wow. and didn't get submitted correctly. And they were like, oh, you, you got to go back to India. And he's like, I don't know anyone in India. And so he wound up found, finding like a distant cousin who he could go stay right. with. But this is a guy for all intents and purposes, as American as you and me. Right. And then all of a sudden he's got to go to India, which he's never been to before. And live with like a distant relative who's there and try and get his paperwork fixed so he can come back. So, I mean, there's got to be a way not to let that happen. It's got to be a more simplistic process to allow the people who are already here, already functional members of society, probably don't know anything else, some of them, just to be able to have, this is that easy pathway to citizenship. And I hate that they, there's always these, monikers that they make you know it's like hey we're going to give you a bunch of slogans because you're dumb here's more slogans i hate the slogans but it's honest i mean it's true that that's what needs to happen if we want to keep out the bad people we need to make it easier for the good people to come in and help us yeah i mean i'm there i i think that one of the things that i worry about and I don't know how you feel about this as an independent. As a libertarian, I'm a pretty strong pro-America. Um, not so much to the point where I like it's like, oh gee, let me go lose my life tomorrow for this whole thing if I don't agree with it. Um, but nationalism, you know, patriotism. I mean, I got a Jeep out front with American flags. Yeah. Below. Okay. So, yeah. so my point is this: so Republicans seem to be a little bit more uh, patriotic. When I look at Democrats and the agenda for the left. It seems to be kind of, well, you know, you don't really need to say the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, that's your First Amendment, right? But I actually believe there's something a little bit deeper seated than that, a little bit nefarious at times. And the reason I'm stating this is I think that at a point we are eroding the nationalism of pride that we used to have uh, because we don't want that. And when I say we, I'm not including myself in that, but I believe that some of that, the Democrat platform is trying to say, Oh, it's okay if you're from somewhere else and you don't have to really assimilate into being an American. I mean, it depends on how it's being used. So if it is nationalism and it's at a very high level and it's like, Hey, look how wonderful life is. You know, it's great. Arguably better here than it would be anywhere else. Right. And we should honor that. And you know, that's great. People on the left don't feel that way though. That, like it's better elsewhere. But that's not true. I think what people on the left are reacting to is that idea. Well, you should be proud. And if you're proud, you should do this. 
So if it's being used to regulate somebody's behavior, behavior, mm -hmm. that's I think what the left is reacting to. And I mean that with the whole kneeling in football. Remember that whole thing? Well, yeah, I mean. I remember it and I thought it was kind of stupid because the whole reason we even have a national anthem before football is because the military paid a fee to make sure the NFL does that and baseball does that. Um, but I'm getting more like, you know, I've been in education now off and on for 20 years. When I first started, beginning of every day in every school, the Pledge of Allegiance is one of the first things that happens. It happened when you were in school, happened when I was in school. It's 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 a patriotic thing. And I remember at some point in time, the, the punk rock version of me back in like the mid nineties, I was like, I'm just going to mumble through this because, you know, why is it this way? So, okay. To me, right? Like, I was like, this is kind of silly that I'm sitting here going through. I pledge allegiance to a flag. I pledge allegiance to my family. I pledge allegiance to my, my personal ethos, my beliefs of what's going on. But I, I, I got to a point in my life where I was like, I'm not sure I, how I feel about pledging allegiance to a flag. It seems like a false deity, a false God to me, right? So that's, that's where I was. As I've gotten older, I now look at it a little bit differently. Uh, you know, adult Greg is more, oh, gee, that was kind of silly because there's a lot of people that fought a lot of wars that I learned about in my history classes in order to make sure that I can have a podcast where I can say whatever I want that's on my mind about whatever right. government leaders on my mind, not to worry about somebody knocking on my door saying, come with me, I'm from the Gestapo, you know, or we're dragging you out of the house. Well, and you're probably better to answer this question. Are they still being taught about all of those wars and all of those people? Or are we focused on other things that mean a whole lot less when it comes to history? Because in my opinion, that is the really what the pledge that, that's the benefit that it brings. It's like, hey, right. you know, a lot of people sacrificed. Right. And we should honor those people. Right. But if you're going to sit there and go, and you're just going to mumble your way through These it, kids don't do it. The kids nowadays, and I've taught the teachers all across this country. Uh, this is not just me speaking on behalf of what I've witnessed. I've taught the educators in about 20 different states. At the time the teachers say, or the principal comes on and says, please rise for our Pledge of Allegiance, no one's standing up. And now we've even passed laws like in the state of Delaware, our state, they passed a law where at the very first day of the school, you have to notify kids that it's their constitutional right not to stand and not to participate. So come on, kid, high schoolers are already lazy enough. I mean, I mean that's, that's part of being a high schooler. But it's always telling you, you're tired, you can just sit there, you just sit there. And so now there is less than I'd say 5% participation school-wide in most of these schools with something like that. And where I worry about it is the people that have kind of like normalized this are not Republicans. That's not where that's coming from. The normalization of the free speech on that, and I believe in free speech, but I also believe in patriotism because I personally believe we're probably heading towards another war. Why? Because look at the finances in this country and war makes finances turn around, right? It's another revolution. We're going to need some patriotism. We're going to need some people that are like, I actually care about where I live. But you can't legislate patriotism. Right. You can't insist on it. I mean, you can make people recite. Right. But you cannot insist that there's emotion behind what they were citing. It would be more powerful to teach them about the wars and the people who sacrificed and be like, that's what this. So I think that, I think that's about. being taught. 
But I think this is part of that DEI conversation as well, though, then. Because, yeah, you can't legislate patriotism. You also can't legislate equality in the way that you want to. You can't legislate equity, uh, diversity, inclusion, because you right. can't change what's on people's hearts and minds, right? Like, right. I can't change that kid in their seat, how they feel about the country after they've been told that, like, every single police officer hates them because they have brown skin, right? right. And they're not going to pledge allegiance to a country where they feel that there's some type of injustice. I get where that kid's coming from because that kid believes that this is in his ethos, his moral beliefs, where it is. But I think that's part of the overall problem. I think we're trying to legislate everything. And we're, as a result, we're legislating the more morality, the ethics of what's the vision for a unified place to live. And as a result, we're not unified. You know, I hate social media. I, 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 I was thinking this morning before I came up here, I was like, does Chip even have X? Like, are you on Twitter? Because I feel like you're a relic. You're only on Facebook. <laughs> so the reason that I'm on Facebook, and it, this is the honest truth. I, I got on Facebook because I wanted to share photos of my kids with my mother and with rel relatives who didn't live near me because I moved away. Right. Uh, I've since moved back. And now what I use it for is like to post funny things and memes, memes. And, and very... <sighs> But you're known for your chip rants. I do rant on things. You're known for your political rants, but under things in a different perspective. But understand that even when I'm ranting, there, there's a kernel of seriousness behind right. it, but it's mostly just being bombastic. It's like Vic DiPetetto, who right. like goes crazy over like different things and rants. It's that type of thing. So it's it's not. I'm not trying to change hearts and minds. I'm just throwing it out there because I think it's funny. And right. if people laugh, great. That's really the only intent, which, I mean, I, I think Facebook has lost track of that because they're constantly accusing me of trying to do things that I'm not trying to do. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out what the hell happened to your account yesterday. They're like, you're trying to get sensitive inf information from people. I'm like, what the hell did you post? I have no idea because yeah. in whatever they sent me, there was no, hey, this is what it was. Right. So I, I, I just was like, I, do you want to uh, what dispute. Is it? dispute it? So yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, uh, I'll dispute it because I don't know what it is. But I'm not trying to get anyone's sensitive right. info. Like I could care less, but it's hilarious to me that Facebook is accusing me of trying to get people sensitive <laughs> they've info. they've been getting people sensitive info the entire That's time. That's literally why they exist. Cambridge and Analytica, yes, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> And I was like, you're accusing the me frauds. of what you're doing. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, if it makes you smile anymore, uh, the guy that I spoke with the other day, Ben Davidson, he's a earth catastrophe uh, climate uh, expert. I mean, this guy has dedicated 20 years of his life. He's presented with NASA. He comes onto the show and we got into the billionaires building bunkers. And uh, he's telling like what will happen with the solar flare? What would happen if there was a pole earth rotates at a 90 degree angle? And he goes, the elites know that this is an actual possibility. It's every 6,000 to 12,000 years and we're due. Because you're seeing Jeff Bezos, you're seeing Elon Musk, and then you see Mark Zuckerberg. I said, yeah, but Mark Zuckerberg, he's building Hawaii around a ton of water in a bunker. He goes, yeah, that's because someone didn't tell him the entire story. He only has half the story. And I start laughing because I'm like, picture like you think that you're the smartest person. You start building your bunker. And then if the earth actually were to do that, because that's what they're doing this for, for the possibility, because they have so much money, they got nothing better to do with their days. If the earth were to do that, water is going to be over top his bunker for the next 6,000 years. 
unless he's building with that bunker, some type of pressurized submarine that he can then find his way back up and get to where he needs, he's going to suffocate to death. So that kind of made me feel a little bit better about him owning Facebook and stealing all of our information for all these years and messing with people's emotions and doing studies on humans without their, uh, you know, consent. So you like to dabble in weather. I do. I can tell you, and I've lived in many different parts. Well, at least three, yeah, you've been three completely different regions, three completely different yeah. regions. They can't even predict the weather. Right. I mean, I could predict the weather in Florida better than the people on TV because every day at 2 PM it rained. Right. How do I know that? I rode a motorcycle and got rained on. And I was like, Hey, every day at two, I'm getting rained on. Right. But they don't know what's going to happen. So I get it. They've seen this in the past. Right. They have some data, they have no idea. but no matter how much data you collect, there's no guarantees on things. Right. And trying to build a bunker is ridiculous but hey you know what if they have that much money and they're putting people to right. work hey build yeah. a big bunker maybe we can use that bunker for something later <laughs> when this doesn't happen or i mean you know open a new nightclub yeah when they come up with another theory about the way the world's going right. to end if the world's going to end it's, it's not going to matter it's going to end right it's not going to matter you can't plan like, for it you just that and that's that's the thing with like ben like that i like about him like he's saying like yeah these are the studies but you got to live in the present moment. Right. He's like, for the people that are like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. He's like, I'm laughing because 90% of them are going to die within the first three months. Well, he goes, you got to, you got to think in the perspective of what do you have right now? Well, it's going to suck. And then what he's talked about may never happen during your lifetime. So live your life. Aside from the, the asteroid that we discover and we push right. it off course. Right. Other than that, all of these doomsday things, they suck. Yeah. You're probably going to want to be at ground zero because everything after that is going to suck. Right. And so this mentality of, I like my life. I want it to continue. No, 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 no. You're not going to like it. It's going to suck. Yeah. So just get it over. I'm going to want to know what's next right. at that point. And, and Hey, explore what happens after. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's go into like, just, sure. let's get deep into this one. Go ahead. I did a, a thing on my show months ago and I revisited it because a friend of mine uh, committed suicide uh, last week. He was a listener of the oh, show. Sorry. It was horrible. Um, but I, I've been exploring this concept of, you know, male loneliness, right? I believe that society as a whole, based upon the data that I'm looking at, this is a real problem that no one is really taught about how men don't support one another in meaningful ways, um, that most men feel alone in the world that they live in. Um, there's uh, this expectation that a man's supposed to be A, B, C, and D. And then as a result, we all compare ourselves to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Like that's an inherently masculine thing for us to do. In all that, we have social media, we have news media, movies, and everything else that kind of are this narrative. And then over the last like 15, 20 years, you have this feminist movement that's like, screw the patriarchy. We're seeing suicide in 30, 40s, and 50-year-olds at levels we've never seen before. So it's scary. Like this is, you want to talk like a, a, an epidemic? Let's forget about infectious disease. Let's actually talk about the mental health of people. Um, am I off base? Because you're a pretty reasonable, logical individual. I've known you always that way to be. To think that this is a problem that no one's talking about. Like, 
this is a lot worse than what it probably, even what I'm stating at the big. Am I ever stating that or what's your experience? In well, there's a lot of social constructs that are out there. And the, the one for the, I don't want to say middle age, but the, the male population that you're identifying. For middle age. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's not just middle age. It's, it's somewhere in, you know, from your 20s on to, I would say, probably 50. Right. Um, and maybe even a little bit past that. There's no real social construct for men. Many of the activities that we would have done in the past, there's either not a reason to do. It's looked at negatively by society. So like a good example is hunting or football or any of those things. There's a certain segment of society that's like, that's barbaric. And why would you do that? Or playing in a band? Why would you play in a band? You're not going to be famous. And that's, that's what they're being told. Right. So it's like, you've learned to play guitar. You've learned, you specifically right. learned yeah. to sing, yeah. but it's very easy for society to look at you and go, why are you doing this? Right. And so over time, these things that you do for enjoyment are being taken away. And what you're left with, or what many people are left with is this doldrum of, I'm going to go sit in a cubicle, crunch numbers. It's very much the um, fight club thing where it's like, the guy's just sitting in the cubicle. He's buying crap that he doesn't need. He doesn't even really want it. He just right. doesn't, he's got to want something. So he's focused on this. And it literally drives him to the point where he's, spoiler alert, splits into two like different people. So he's got this bifurcated now personality. No, I can't watch the movie. Right. 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 <laughs> well, if you, if you, <laughs> no, if you missed it for the last 20 years, Damn you're probably it. not going to watch. But just don't ruin seven for me. Okay. <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> but I mean, it's that idea. Yeah. And I think that movie was speaking to that way back then. So That's it's also point. not a new thing. I think that there is a very big problem where we're not addressing people in need of emotional, psychological support. support. We just ignore them. I mean, there's folks that we knew from back in the day who are just outcasts of society. They've not been helped. Right. And you know, maybe there's no amount of medicine that can help them, but there's no programs for them. There's no way for them to be functional. They kind of just exist as this entity that's on the outside of society. Very much like if we, if we took time and focused on this, we would probably inadvertently solve the homeless problem. We would probably solve the suicide rate problem that you're talking about. We would solve this gun violence problem that we have because a lot of the times the people who are carrying out gun violence, the people who are homeless, mm -hmm. it's not because there's no opportunities for them. It's because they have, they're dealing with something that is very, very difficult. It affects their mind. So they can't solve it because their mind in fact can't solve it. Right. And there's no place for them to go. And so we went from two extremes. Back in the day, it was the loony bin where they stuck everybody in there, mistreated them, and it was terrible. And then the next extreme is, oh, we'll just let everybody out then. Right. There's got to be something in the middle. There's got to be a middle <laughs> point. Like you can't be abusing people, but you also can't have them leading non-functional lives.
and or unsuccessful, unfulfilling lives. I mean, if right. people are, they, it, they don't have to be completely crazy, you know, like, woo, crazy. But I almost wonder if there isn't something nefarious going on in the backdrop to try to create this Gotham City type of style of people going to the loony bin lately. Um, well, people don't want responsibility. I mean, it's yeah. very easy to step back and go, well, that's not my responsibility. Yeah. I don't think the government wants responsibility because it's a headache and it costs money. Um, and also it's a benefit because for it, this sounds really bad, but the government does benefit from the idea that if there's a homeless person on the street, somebody who's working, it keeps them in check mm -hmm. because they don't want to become that homeless. You're person. correct. So there, there's all these. I, so, so one of the craziest things I've ever really probably thought about and ruminated and shared with other people that I was like, Oh, you agree with me? I've often said that you go to like the, the inner cities with the highest levels of poverty. They exist on purpose. That's a horrible thing to, to, to acknowledge and say, but they have to, because we have all the means and resources in this country to solve that problem. So the only thing that's left then is the fact that there are individuals that are profiting off of those being in poverty and keeping them. And I use the word enslaved and that's an intentional word. It's a new form of slavery, poverty in this country, in certain areas of this, of our, our different states that we have, because it keeps people in check to go, oh, you could wind up like them. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying right now is not libertarian. Mm -mm. I know that. So, and I've often thought to myself, this is one of my issues with formalized, formalized religion is that my understanding when I was a child was that was one of the functions of the church as well is to take in the poor people and to feed them. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's food banks and stuff, but I, I think a lot of times the underfunded churches are doing everything they can. Right. And then you get like the televangelist mega churches that are just making money off of people and they're not giving anything back. And I think if that money was distributed correctly, that would be another place that people could go to get help. Right. Um, but we just don't see it. No, I mean, we've turned our public schools into places for kids to have help. I mean, um, I've taught now for almost eight years in a high poverty environment uh, where the meals that kids get while they're with us are likely the only meals they're getting that week. They're getting their breakfast, they're getting their lunch. And we even had started a program at one point where they could get dinner if they were in after school programs uh, to take home with them. Mm -hmm. And these kids, you know, still to this day, Mr. Bolden, we got snacks today. Yeah. You know, and so I, I try to keep, you know, luckily um, I'm of a financial status. I'm secure at this point in my life that I can. I can go to the BJ's and Costco and buy snacks and have for these kids. But um, I keep that in my mind at all times that like, yeah, they're, they're going through it. I had a kid, my very first year of teaching at the public school, um, all of a sudden he was on a cell phone. I was like, Hey, dude, we're, we're recording a television show right now. Right. Can you get off your cell phone? Because you're running the teleprompter and they just missed their line twice. And we had to restart the broadcast. Mm. <laughs> and he's like, oh, just a second. And he starts scrolling again. So I raised my voice. Up. I was like, out, get out of the room. You know, you take the F for the day. It's fine. I'll get somebody else. I call another student over and the kid 
all of a sudden just went crazy, started punching stuff, slamming my door. There was blood all over the wall from him cutting his knuckles Ooh. up on the lockers. I never saw the kid again. The next day, the school counselors call me up and they're like, hey, Greg, um, I just want to let you know we remove so-and-so from your class. I said, okay, um, do you think I can get an opportunity to speak with him? It's like, I feel really horrible about what happened yesterday, but like, he just wasn't there. And she says to me, Greg, um, we normally don't share this with the teachers, but he was homeless and he was on his cell phone waiting for his placement. Mm. I mean, talk about like a heavy moment Yeah, to sit there and go, that kid was coming to my classroom, relying on me every single day, homeless, living on the streets. I didn't recognize it. And now I've ruined that opportunity for him to have that education in my classroom because I couldn't have patience in that moment. I've never handled a situation in my classroom the same after that. The seven years after that moment, I became a different teacher that day because my eyes were completely open to the fact that there are atrocities happening in the young people at a poverty level, uh, abuse level, and everything else that we don't talk about as a society whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Because out of sight, out of mind. It just makes it a lot easier to be like, oh, what's going on in these public schools is horrible. You got all these woke teachers. You know what? These public schools are keeping kids alive right now. And some of these woke teachers are the only thing these kids have in order to make them feel safe and secure in their environment. So be really glad that you don't have a bunch of people that are just there to teach the curriculum. Right. But it's a, I mean, even past that, it's it's a mentality that people should take into other areas of life. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, maybe they're having a really bad day. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just got informed that somebody they love died and they're rushing to the hospital to identify the body. You don't know what people are going through. And we've moved away as a society as a whole from having empathy for people that we don't understand what's going on in their lives to this idea of like, oh, well, that guy's a jerk. That guy's an asshole. And everybody approaches the situation like that, even to the point where, you know, you'll see like they're recording a Karen who's flipping out about something. Mm -hmm. That's somebody's mother. Yep. So yeah, she could be completely wrong, but let's identify what's going on with her before we crucify her and make fun of her. And the same thing, if you're a Karen, the same thing should go with whatever's going on. If people right. are, you know, having a party and you don't like it, maybe you should go talk to them. Have a little patience. Have a little patience, figure things out. It goes both ways. Now let's apply that to politics. Yeah. So that's why I created the show. Like literally that's why I created this, this show is because I felt like people didn't have patience with what was going on and just going, Oh, you're, you're a MAGA far right Republican. Oh, you're a socialist and just throwing these labels out and then publishing whatever they wanted to publish outside of context. And then you don't really have anybody wanting to work with one another. No, so the, it's the bargaining is the whole reason that government exists is bargaining. Different states are bargaining with each other on how the country is going to be run. It's always been like that. The only difference today is nobody's bargaining. Right. Nobody wants to listen. Nobody wants to change their opinion. Everybody wants it to be all or nothing. I mean, the thing that I heard on the news last night, now it's the fake news, so I don't know how real it is, was that <laughs> Donald Trump was like, oh, don't pass anything on the border before I'm president because I don't want them to get the win. 
well, that's not really the no. reason. If, if we can come up with an idea, right. get the idea done. Get it done. And you may not be president. So let's let's, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I love these people that are like, the 2020 election was completely rigged. The, uh, the the minion voting systems were, you know, they use this ballpoint pen and it can be proven in court. And yet they're like, Donald Trump's going to take it back in 2024. I got, a, I got news for all of them. If you really believe that the election was rigged in 2020, Donald Trump's not winning in 2024. <laughs> because if they got away with it that well, wow. like just like put on your, your hat there for a second and go, oh yeah, it's definitely rigged against him if that's the case. So... Uh, I would like to believe that it wasn't as bad as everybody tries to paint this out to be. I think there's election interference everywhere, right? But not the way that people were saying there was election interference. I mean, complexity the complexity of what of you're talking yes. about. And I constantly see it being argued. Uh, this argument is it's like, it, this goes to the presidents too. In one breath, they're going to argue that the president is dumb. And in the next breath, they're going to accuse the president of something that is so complex that only a genius could be able to execute on that. You can't have that argument. Right. Either the president is out to lunch or the president is an evil genius. You can't have both. So when it was Donald Trump, it's like he's got to be one or the other. Right. When it's Joe Biden, he's got to be one or the other. Pick which narrative you want to go with for your argument, but then you can't in the next breath switch. I feel like the first time I realized I, I look at politics differently than other people was after September 11th. Um, people were very critical of George Bush and Dick Cheney. And in many ways, I am now um, very much critical of the way we went about things with Iraq afterwards and Halliburton and stuff. But in all that, I used to say to people, you know, you got this idea that George Bush wants us all dead and in this, these wars. I don't believe that for a second because he's got children. I don't believe that you can have children and then sit there and go, I want to completely screw up this entire world uh, that my children are going to have to deal with. And at the end of the day, I, I feel the same way about Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, that I don't think that any of them hate America. I don't think any of them are waking up going, how much can I screw people over? But I do believe that almost everybody that's a president, and I think this just comes with the territory, is an ideologue. You have this vision of this is exactly how I want it to be. And this is the mark that I would like to have there. Donald Trump's come out and said it. Barack Obama came out and, you know, made the statements about, you know, this is the way I see things. And if I could get a third term, I would. I'd like to be behind because he knew what he wanted for the country. Maybe he is, but Joe Biden, I don't know. But Joe Biden, too, like, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet him uh, probably about six or seven times. My mom actually worked for him years ago. Yeah. Um, He's not a bad guy. As far as do I believe that he is a gaff waiting to happen his entire career? Absolutely. Um, as far as do I agree with most of his policies? No, I don't agree with everything that he's been a policy behind. But when he lays his head on the pillow at the end of every night, I know a guy that I personally saw go to church every single Sunday care about people enough to listen to them after those services. St. Joe's on the Brandywine. Oh, yeah. And you're going to be hard pressed to find people that actually have talked to him. that are like, what a horrible human being. I've never heard that well, from any Delaware. That was that, my that argument him. going into the election. <laughs> right. I was like, look, my mother used to work at the same college that his wife worked at. Right. 
I've sat in the in the cafeteria and had conversations while I was waiting for my mother and he was waiting for his wife. I don't agree with him on a lot of things, mm -hmm. but at least he would listen and then he would carefully and measure give me his retort and why he believed what he believed. It was never contentious. And he never blew me off. And I was like a college kid. Yep. So it could have been very easy for him just to be like, look, kid, I don't have time for this. So he's a nice guy. And I'm like, so you can say what you want about his policies. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to paint this guy as a bad guy or kid toucher or all this yep. other stuff that people say, that's not who he is. Nope. Um, and I still disagree with a lot of his policies. Yep. Now, if we want to talk Hunter. That's a completely different story. Well, right? I don't, I don't but, even but why know should it but, but here's the thing. I don't need to know him at this point in time to kind of know that he's somebody that I did know, if this makes sense. This will make sense to you. Okay. This is going to make sense okay. to us. Um, think back to the 90s, right? We're in high school. We knew hunters. We didn't know Hunter Biden, but we had hunters that we hunt out with. You and I both come from a background. I'm not afraid to say it. Like I, I have plenty of friends that have died from heroin uh, in this state over the past uh three decades. Uh, we know people that uh, did coke. Mm -hmm. um, so those individuals, that doesn't make them horrible human beings. No. Most of those individuals no. had mental health issues at some point, had something going on in their life that led them into the addiction that they were dealing with. Um, so I have a theory on why it's a problem here. Yeah. And my theory is, I know that the drug trafficking is done up the I-95 corridor sure. and I-95 passes right through this state. Yeah. So I think it's the access is much easier because this is the corridor south to north yep. on the East Coast. I think the further away you get from that corridor, the less of an impact you see, unless it's something like meth where they can make right. it. Um, when I was in Texas, you didn't see a lot of what you see here because the corridor was more west right. than where we Access were. Access wasn't able right. to. Right. Yeah. So you were in the suburbs and you were far enough out in between Dallas and Fort Worth. You were far enough out in the suburbs that it just didn't have the same concentration. Right. It wasn't as easy to access. But, but to tie that together. So a lot of people would like to say that, you know, Joe Biden, look at his son, his son's a, a piece of whatever, piece of work uh, because of his addictions and his videos that he had on his uh, cell phone and his computer that got, you know, released. Um, should a parent ever be judged by their children's behavior? I mean, when you're judging him when he's a full grown man, I... <sighs> I don't think my father, not my father's passed away. I don't think my mother is responsible for my actions. I'm 45 right. years old. She, that's, that has nothing to do with my mother. And you could say, oh, well, it's the way she raised you. Well, okay. But society has impact on who the outcome of an individual, socioeconomic circumstances, access to different things. A single bad decision when it comes to drugs can be just a, that can cause a huge problem. Right. So there's all these different factors. I think it's easy if you don't like Joe Biden or more specifically really don't like his policies and want to fight against his policies and delegitimize him to go after 
the Hunter Biden and say, oh, look, this guy did all this stuff that's terrible. That means that that that, it, that goes back on his dad. All right. So now that we established where you are as an independent, that you don't hate Joe Biden, now we can have this conversation. Because if I went about this conversation in a different way, and I didn't, you know, we, we, did we converse about what we were going to talk about no, before no, this? No. no. Okay. No. Just making sure the audience knows that I'm being 100% upfront with everybody. I knew I wanted to go here uh, at some point, but I knew if people were like, oh, well, he just hates Joe Biden because of he's one of the John Paul Mac guys that live next to him, everything else, right? I need to make sure we painted a good picture there. Why in the upcoming election, 2024, what are the major issues that you see that are keeping you from wanting to pull the lever for him as a presidential candidate? I mean, my biggest issue is the focus on this social stuff that is not the governing of the country. There's a lot of, um, when you talk about, so I used to have the argument that like a president can't really affect the gas price. That's eh, not going to happen. You can't do that. But when he came into office and shut down that pipeline, mm -hmm. gas prices immediately went up. So, yeah, you, the president can. And I don't like it when people make decisions that aren't measured. I agree, theoretically, that we need to take people's opinions and, you know, don't put the pipeline through here and all that into consideration. It absolutely needs to be considered. But we also can't devastate our economy because of opinions or how people are going to feel. And I experienced some of that with the whole COVID thing. I think a lot of people feel like they did. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you this anecdotal story and I'm, it's going to be, I'm going to blow it out of proportion from what it actually was. So we go into COVID, we shut the economy down. Everybody's wearing masks, mandated masks. You got to wear a mask. Now I was in South Florida at the time, so it wasn't as bad, but it was there. It was still down there. Right. Don't let the South Floridians fool you. There was, <laughs> it was going on down there. So the whole idea in my mind was, okay, look, we got old, older people in our society. We shouldn't prematurely end their life by just going about our normal daily lives and pretending like this doesn't exist because it's going to take a heavy toll on that population. Keep in mind, they're all baby boomers. Right. So there's a lot of voters in that population. So I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. And everybody's just kind of going through it. Um, and so for a significant amount of time, finances were affected. Commerce was affected. Everything was affected. And then they came out with the shot. Before anyone knew what that shot was actually going to do, everybody's like, woohoo. They run off. They get their shot. And this is how I can tell you I experienced that. Everybody's wearing masks begrudgingly. A lot of people begrudgingly wearing masks. Like, mm -hmm. this, isn't, this doesn't even work. Like, why are we doing this? But the theory is, okay, if a doctor is performing an operation on you, they wear a mask because they don't want to get particles into the cuts. Right. Is it going to keep you from getting COVID? I doubt it. But it, could it? maybe reduce the area of spread around you so that, you know, instead of it being six feet 
or eight feet, it's six feet or whatever. I don't know. I'm not. There's Since no, then, they've actually said the six feet was a arbitrary number I'm that sure didn't do anything. I'm sure. Like was. Fauci's actually admitting. He's like, yeah, yeah there was no science. I'm sure. <laughs> but the idea was empathy. Right. For the good of society, I'll wear this uncomfortable mm -hmm. stinking thing. And it, it, but it was taken to extremes. I remember hopping on a plane. It was a puddle jumper plane. At that point in time, my kid was two years old. He didn't wear a mask. And we tried to get him to put a mask on and he was flipping out. And the stewardess comes by and goes, I'm going to need you to get a mask on it. Meanwhile, I'm wrestling the mask on him. And she's like, if he doesn't put that mask on, I'm going to write him up. I'm like, you're going to put a two-year-old on the do not fly list. This is not like this. He is not, this is not a political stance that he's taking. He's two and he's flipping out because he doesn't want to wear the mask. And I'm trying, I'm trying. So we go through that where we're, you know, it's compassion and empathy, but the idea is, okay, it's going to help those older people. That shot comes out. The next week, there's an HOA meeting. One of the people on the HOA board who has to show up to the meeting, she's pregnant. I walk into that meeting, all of those boomers have no masks on and they're like, woo. And I'm like, well, look, the lady who's on the board is pregnant. She's not, she can't get the shot because at that point that they weren't, right. were not doing that. Shouldn't you wear a mask just for her? And they're like, that's her problem. And that was their mentality. So these people that we spent these months, I'm wrestling a mask on a two-year-old for this population of people that we have all this empathy for has zero empathy in, for anybody else around the nursing home yeah. people are like screw you guys i'm just like what are you what's going on <laughs> and so at that point in time i was like you know what this is like this is a political these are votes right nobody i cared about those people but these rules weren't in place because the rules weren't there to care about these folks right the rules were there to protect these votes well i i think that you know covid in general, really illuminated for me the hypocrisy of people's freedoms and rights and the illusion of what people are actually willing to stand up for. <laughs> um, I know that if the government ever comes for people's guns, they're going to be successful. There will be a small part of this nation that would be like, nope, not at all. But there's going to be a lot of people that got pushed over that are going to go, oh, it's for the public good. Absolutely. Yeah, take away that part of the rights. And the reason I use COVID as that example is there's restaurants that were like, nope, can't come for takeout unless you get the vaccine card in parts of this country. Mm -hmm. Luckily, Delaware, where we, you are now, we never got that crazy. Like there was some crazy stuff that happened during it that I've documented that I'll never forget. Like putting over, <laughs> they actually took down the basketball rims. So it was just the backboards at Del Castle. <laughs> like you can't go outside to play basketball. Like, come on, what the hell? Um, but the parts of like people's rights or um, the 3000 people in the Christiana care system that lost their jobs because they refused to be vaccinated, but yet they work the entire damn pandemic being exposed to the oh, virus, yeah. getting COVID. And then they're going, I've already had it. I'm good. Oh, no, you're going to lose your job if you're not vaccinated. And now they're out of healthcare. And we have a huge healthcare crisis in this country. And I, I wish people would acknowledge too, like the fallout of 
the pandemic, it wasn't about the pandemic. It was about the response empathy of people that were choosing for their own health purposes to go, you know what? That's not for me. I don't want to get vaccinated. And then told, well, then you can't work here because you're a liability to others, which is a complete lie now. We know that because we've done the yeah. research. We're like, oh, well, it didn't actually stop the virus from transmitting. It didn't, yeah, maybe it reduced death and mortality in the hospitals, yes, but it's the bunk now and people lost their livelihoods over it, and there's no coming back from that. And that says a lot about our country. So what are people want to fight for. We I spent a lot of time being a risk analyst. And one of the things that they do is they always look for the most negative thing that could possibly happen. And when you apply that to the legal system, like reputational risk, right? companies get squirrely and do dumb stuff all the time. And it's not, it's they're worried about being sued. That's their mentality. If right. we get sued, we're going to lose this much money. So they didn't care about the shop. That, that was not their, and they didn't care about their employees. They cared about not getting sued. And it's a really sad state of affairs that that's the way it goes. But we also live in a society where people are allowed to sue for every and anything. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. I mean, my wife, she employs people in various parts of the country, and she's got tons of anecdotal, ridiculous stories of things where lawsuits come up, and it's just, what? Yeah, I even saw now like they have these slam lawsuits where for libel statements, and now some of these states are coming back with an anti-slam. And so simply for giving a lawsuit, you're allowed to sue back. Like Texas is one of those states where that's legal. And uh, it basically, it's a way to say, oh, you're going to make me buy a lawyer. You're going to have to pay for a lawyer doubly. Um, and it's the most bizarre litigious uh, situation. All right, so we covered Biden. Now tell me, why wouldn't you vote for Trump? What is it about what Trump is that would keep you from pulling the lever for Trump? Um, it's not, it's not, Trump is not the main issue. Okay. What's the main, the issue? main issue is, and this is very much a social construct. The way I, I look at, at Trump as a president is like, he's the guy who's hiring the people. So if you can hire the best people, if he still has that ability, if there isn't right. a huge portion of people out there who are like, no, I won't work for him. If he's still able to get access to good people to hire, that's what he does well. He can hire people well. I have no idea how he makes a deal. So the art of the deal, I have no clue. I have no but, experience. But I, can he hire people well when you saw in his last administration that people were a revolving door quitting on him and getting fired and talking, you know, out of turn. Well, some of that is his framing. Okay. Because if I am the best, let's say that I'm the best in X in the, in the industry, right. and you're going to hire me, and then you're going to speak in a way that reflects poorly on me, that's lowering my social status in right. my right area, I'm going to be upset about that. Fair. Yeah. So it, it no longer becomes, Hey, I'm working for the president. This is an honor. Now it's, I'm becoming a joke. So part of what the critique I have of Trump is that he leans in too hard on some of these things. And then there's negative fallout from him, you know, 
making jokes or doing this or doing that. The other issue, though, is there is a significant portion of society that acts in a different way when they're around Trump. It's almost like uh, no empathy at all. Right. And they're just like, well, that's how it is, you know, and it's this mentality. Um, If they could tone it down and also like, I think liberals have the same problem. Tone it down. There shouldn't be people crying in the streets and people celebrating when a president is elected. Yeah, that's not how it should be. There should not be an insurrection or whatever you want to call it. There shouldn't be that. Like that, none of that makes sense. These two people that you're putting in the office, and I don't care. I know I'm going to get pushback on this. They are. Everybody likes to say Donald Trump's not bought by anybody. Of course he is. Mm-hmm. He's bought by himself. Yeah, he's going to make more money. Yeah, he's he's got an empire. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I made that statement back in 2016. Yeah. So these people are influenced. I don't want to say bought, but very heavily influenced by outside influences. Those outside influences want the same things. How you go about getting there is the difference. Right. But this idea that you should be very upset if your candidate doesn't win or, oh, we lost. We, what we? Donald Trump doesn't know who most of you people (laughs) are and neither does Joe Biden. And even though Joe Biden sat down and talked to me, he probably yep. doesn't know who yep. I am. He just, oh, that was, yeah, I'm, yeah. Ugh. So this idea that there's some this team, which is another reason why I like being an independent, because then at least I know I can vote for it, look out for myself. Yeah. So with being an independent, there is one person running as an independent in this race. You got Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr. Hold on. Okay. Little I. I know. Unaffiliated. I know. Originally a Democrat, but he's running under yeah. the independent yeah. ticket. I got you. You're, 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 I'm making the distinction. You're an independent thinking, not independent in party. I, yes. I know. And so maybe that's important for people to hear too. Yes. Um, but I'm bringing that up because he's trying to distinguish himself as, well, I'm not the typical Democrat. I'm not the typical Republican. I'm really a moderate the way moderates used to be. Is there anything about RFK Jr. that's like attractive to you as an independent in this election? No, because he's not going to win. And that's the other thing. So, I, so I was, you're only going to vote for somebody who has a shot to win. No, no. But you lose all influence if you're, if you're casting your vote for an ideal. Okay. We want to talk about ideologues. If you're like, well, I'm going to vote for who? Well, that's great. Guess who's going to find out? No one. Right. It's like when I voted for Gary Johnson. Yes. And I mean, I've watched this happen. Most, when I figured this out was Ross Perot. Right. I honestly thought Ross Perot sounded good. I so was, did I. I, was, I, I. We were young. We were yeah. what, eighth grade yeah, or something like that? Yeah, we were too like young yeah. to vote. Yeah. But I was like, yeah. he sounds good. There may be problems with some of the stuff he's saying, but he sounds right. good. But I watched how it literally took one chunk who wanted to do things one way and split them in two, and now neither one had power. Yeah, then Bill Clinton got elected. Right. But then you could say the same thing for uh, Ralph Nader. Influenced elections by splitting off chunks. And it's like, well, we're doing it because there's an ideal behind it. Well, yeah, but you're screwing yourself. But at some point, though, do we have confidence? If if, if Congress isn't doing anything, it's being controlled by Republicans and Democrats. 
if presidents are dividing us so much that people don't even have empathy for one another, that, you know, it's polars, right? We're a bipolar political society. And at the end of the day, if we're really in like a uni party, as far as like the Republicans and Democrats kind of like, you know, circle jerk one another back and forth and to keep the power that they have, then sorry for the, the crassness to listeners that are offended by that, but we're having a friendly conversation today, not like an official. Type <laughs> I've of been thing. trying to keep it yeah. good. I'm no, usually no. the one who's guilty. Yeah, I, I normally curse a lot more, but I don't publish it on the show. Um, but we'll see. I think I'm just going to publish this the way it is. I love the free flow of conversation today. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious then, shouldn't there be some other ideal that starts rising up and usurps power from the Republicans no, because and Democrats? What you're, honestly, what you're doing is you're saying, look, the system's messed up because we, we labeled label people as this party or this party. So let's make another party and label it as this. You're just creating another one. I don't want to have to label another party. I just want somebody to come out that's like, all right, um, this is where Joe Biden's wrong. Here's where Donald Trump's wrong. I'm right here. Come vote for me. And then not have people go, oh, well, there's not an R or D next to that. So we can't vote for it. Like, will we ever get there as a society? Or are we stuck with R's and D's for the rest of our lives? As long as it's money-based, there's going to be R's and D's because you've got to have fundraising. That's they, where the money is. Yeah. And the, the money is, well, they, they have to know what they're raising money for. Okay. There has to be an entity. So I'm guessing, and you don't have to, like, your vote is your private thing. It's your personal thing. So you don't have to, like, state this for listeners. But I'm going to make a guess here. Judging from what I know of you and what you shared about uh, Biden and Trump, I'm getting the thought process that if you have to pull the lever tomorrow and it's between the two of them, you're not looking at RFK Jr. because that just splits the vote. You're thinking about your wallet and you're thinking that Trump had you at a better wallet Correct. than what Biden has. Correct. And so Trump probably gets your independent vote in the next election. Is that pretty accurate? As of right now? Right. Yes. Because financially, Biden hasn't convinced me financially that he has right. my best interest. Despite the fact that he's claiming that he's created more jobs than any other president, which I think has an asterisk next to all. I'll explain that depending on where you go with it. He claims that he has created more jobs for more individuals and that the economy is now the you know stock market's so at the highest. I've worked with data for many, many, many years. There's tons of ways to manipulate data right. to say whatever you want it to say. I'm and that, I'm not detracting. He has done some great things. But we also lost hundreds, uh, tens of millions of jobs during COVID. We did. We're now rehiring back, which is why I believe we're seeing the job growth. That's my yeah, of course, of course, of course. But he's got to convince me. So for example, we're talking about COVID, the PPP loans. Okay. Very easy. You take a loan, you're a small business. You take a loan, you keep your people employed with that money. You show that to the government, they forgive your loan because it was happening during COVID. That's the way mm -hmm. it's supposed to work. Under Trump, that's the way it worked. Soon as Biden took over, your loan goes into, or your forgiveness on your loan goes into the ether. Well, now you're a small business. You've taken this loan. You can't afford to pay back these astronomical rates for salaries that people weren't working. They weren't producing. There was no revenue right. coming in. So you're taking this loan to pay for these people's salaries. And it's supposed to be forgiven if you show that you did what you said you were going to do. You provide all the paperwork to show that you did what you said you were going to do. 
and it's not forgiven. And there's still millions of loans stuck in this SBA like ether where there's no forgiveness being given. They're not being denied. They're not being approved. They're just in the ether. Well, that's crushing small businesses because the banks want their money. They don't care that it's not forgiven. Hey, hey, it's time. Let's pay it back. But it's in the ether. So I have not seen him talk about or execute on that. Now, maybe I missed it, but that's a problem. And if, you, if you're telling me, okay, you vote for Donald Trump, he comes into office, he fixes that. Okay. Yeah, that's got my vote because that needs to be fixed. Right. And that's something that directly affects me. So one of the talking points that I've, I've had from people that have been speaking to me both on the show and off the show, they're very concerned about Donald Trump coming back in the presidency because they believe that he is following, and I, I'm paraphrasing their words, these aren't mine. He's following the playbook of Hitler, that he's creating the nationalism, uh, same way that Hitler did to kind of divide people, and that a Donald Trump presidency would lead us into a dictatorship uh, where he doesn't give up power, corrupts the power uh, so much that we never have a country the same way ever again. I find that to be drastic, personally speaking. Like when I hear this, I laugh because I'm like, what planet are you on? Like, are you, like that? that is... I, I don't use the word Trump derangement syndrome, but when I hear that type of talk, I understand why people use that type of word. Um, from somebody who I think you've presented so far this entire, over this past hour and whatever it's been, a very balanced perspective. How concerned are you about Trump coming into office and ruining the country as a dictator? I don't think either one of them is going to ruin the country. So uh, people need, if you spend hours upon hours a day watching entertainment news where they're trying to give you a narrative and get you emotionally riled up and they're picking anecdotal most of the time picking very anecdotal things and spinning it so that it's like the worst possible way that something could be impacted or the worst possible thing the worst possible theory it it it, it really bugs me because that's not these are not facts right these are like narratives. These are like football teams. Hey, our football team is the best. And you know why they're the best? Because our quarterback is, and you know, right. in, in fact, WWE is the perfect example. It's so funny because Trump was on that. Yeah, he was. Um, it's that kind of thing where they're spinning up this fake story right. and riling everybody up. And then everybody's really invested. And if the, the evil wrestler wins, everybody's sad. And if the good wrestler triumphs, everybody's like, woo. And it's a story. Like, that's not what it's about. People are not going to follow a Hitler. I get it. I understand that there's this mentality that like, oh, because they can recreate it in a classroom, it'll work in society. But it's not going to work in society. There's all these different voices. And if you get a bunch of kids who haven't been exposed to a lot and you say, okay, we're going to make half of you authoritarian over the other half, right? then you'll get Hitler because they don't have Hitler to look at as an example of why not to do that. Right. We do. We do. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't see it spiraling out of control like that. The fact that we all still have our guns. Now, granted, I also think it's this, I am a, I went to school 
and I have a degree as a gunsmith. Mm-hmm. I can modify guns. I can, you know, put them together, take them apart. I build a musket. Like I've done a bunch of stuff with guns and I'm very pro gun. Um, you're not going to be able to fight the government. <laughs> the government's got all the guns. So I don't care if you have a hundred or 200 right. or 300, you're not going to be able to fight them. They have drones and missiles and all kinds of crazy stuff. So this mentality that I hear from people that are like, well, I got my guns just in case. No, 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 no. It's not just in case. You're not. It's like a tinker toy compared to what the government has. Correct. But in 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 the margins, if you had people from like an authoritarian perspective, not a military. Right. But like lower level people who are trying to do evil things, the guns could help. They could push the off yeah, the, the, the whole yeah. Hitler yeah. idea. Hmm. Wow. So Donald Trump's currently facing 91 different charges. He's in courts, seems like every day, fighting off something else. Uh, I think this week that we're recording, he's against uh, Jean Carroll, who is a interesting individual that says that he raped her. Uh, he still has charges to face in Georgia, the charges in Florida versus the documents, which I think is probably the weakest of all of them. Charges in D.C. Um, if he gets convicted of some of these major parts, the felonies, and he's facing jail time, and he gets convicted before the election. I, actually, let me just go simply on this. He gets convicted of a charge, but he's still eligible to be voted on for president. <laughs> Do you still vote for him? Is he going to run the presidency from prison? <laughs> no, 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 because because if he was still eligible because they hadn't sentenced yet, he could actually pardon himself as soon as he comes in. Yeah, I guess you're right. Do you still vote for him knowing that, you know, he was a convicted felon? No, I would probably do the same thing I did when it was his first election, which is just not vote. Okay. I know that sucks. I guess I could go out there, trudge my way out there and make an idealistic statement for somebody else. But I think that's kind of a waste of time. Um, unless, I mean, like, look, there could be a third party. I don't, I don't want it to sound like I'm saying that's an impossibility. Right. But it has to happen and be very mobilized long before the election cycle starts for it to have any way of gaining any significant sway in the election. Mm. For you to say a third party is not going to come out of nowhere and become the president. I don't see that happening. There has to be, we would already know about this third party. And I mean, like re, it would be on TV. Oh yeah. I agree with you. Take, take yeah. the person who doesn't do a podcast on politics right. out of the mix and go out to the average Joe. And they don't know about these third parties. They, right. they, I don't know probably half of them. And so any of those that they're, they're just not going to get the, the weight necessary in order to get any significant portion of the vote. So what's the point? Right. Wow. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> what all over the place. I think we've like circled around to a, a bunch of different things for everybody here. Um, but I, I, I think what has been highlighted at the most during the conversation is chip represents the everyday American that really is a level-headed, informed voter, somebody who's not looking at things from the standpoint of 
divisiveness or, um, you know, my candidate's got to do this or my candidate's got to do that, but rather I just want the country to function. I want people to be able to be thriving in their jobs and careers, have opportunities, and for your children to have a future. So the conversation we just had, like, it sounds like to me, it's, it's either Donald Trump or this country is kind of a little bit lost financially for the next four years after the next election. Well, or he's got to make major changes, make some changes to address some of these major financial issues that are affecting people. Yeah. Because if the small business can't pay back the loan, they got to get rid of the people who work for it. I mean, yeah. they're going to get rid of their business. Their business is going to fold, which means anybody who's working for them is now out of a job. Right. And so if, if it's a small business and those people are aware of it, they're sitting there with baited, baited right. you know, just worried all the time. I got to tell you, I, I've been doing this for two years and uh, I have some people from the left, but very little from the left that come onto the show. It, the show has definitely been turning more and more into people that are right leaning and not independent. Some libertarians here and there, I've talked to the libertarian presidential candidates on the show. This has been refreshing. Like it's, it's actually nice to actually have a common sense conversation where I don't feel like somebody's like caught up in all the headlines of one side and I can't have a balanced conversation. So it's been a great conversation. I like the fact that I was able to come in here and say I'm an independent and you not completely dismiss that and point me one way or the other, no. because on social media, everyone either considers me to be a Democrat, liberal, or a MAGA Republican. And at the same time, right. I've had people I defriend me. I'm the same way. I've had people defriend me for saying, uh, you know, I, I'll take a look at Donald Trump and see what he's putting out there. Defriended immediately. Yeah, I'm, I can't believe you would say that. I, I'm a, I'm libertarian light is what uh, the libertarian party in Delaware <laughs> called me. They said, you're libertarian light. I actually, hey, look, that sounds safe to me because yeah. I've heard some things that yeah. libertarians have I, said in the I'm past. I'm not the crazy libertarian. And I'm not the, I think after this conversation, you should also probably know that. If you listen to the show, yeah. people already know that's why I've gotten people to trust the voice, I think, over the years of, no, I don't go into like a, a crazy thing of, you know, prostitution. Let's legalize every little bit of things. And well, yeah, whatever. it goes down it weird, weird rabbit avenues, holes that weird are racist and sexist yes, you're, you're and all weird and stuff. I, I'm not there. Um, but I also think the labels are on purpose. And just as you label Democrats or you and I on social media, uh, it's to divide and to try to put someone in a box to dismiss the box. Because once you actually hear them speaking, yeah. it ruins the entire thing. The, the facade comes down, the, the, the structure of the home is actually there. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's actually a nice foundation that we have here. Well, and I'm not going to be running for political office. Why not? Because I've seen politics do weird things. Right. The very, very lowest levels of politics. I tried to run for an HOA board when I was in Florida. These people just the worst thing you could ever do. It was like some social media drama went on, and I was basically pulled out in front of the neighborhood and berated for an hour. And I was for running an HOA. I was the president of an HOA. And it I'm was sure the worst year of my life. I'm sure you dealt with it too. It was the worst year of my but life. But that's like the very lowest dip your toe in politics, yep. and it's hard. I'd yeah. much rather be able to say what I want to say. And, you know, if you want to cancel me, great. Well, I but. think that's what I had fun with with the HOA was I did say what I wanted to say because that's who I am. And I didn't change that to be political. Yeah. I, um, but like, yeah, people. I mean, the funniest part people is. People can't handle the truth. 
I never Zach Nicholson was right. For the record, I never even said anything. I was associated with people who said things that people didn't like. And right. they were like, well, you're friends with this person, so therefore you right. are. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right, bold Americans. That wraps up yet another show. Thanks for tuning in wherever you tuned in, whether it's a uh, Rumble, America Emboldened, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, Instagram live if this was streaming that way, as well as the Patreon page, patreon.com backslash America Emboldened. And as always, you can hear this show and all the others that I produce over at the America Out Loud Talk News Network that is available every day of the week. Make sure you go there, see all my colleagues' work as well. It's been a blast. I hope I honored your time well here with Chip. We'll see you all again very soon. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. Be bold, America. Uh-huh.